Well, I wonder if you saw anything uh, on the Remembrance Day this morning. Uh, I went over to see my granddad. Uh, he has it on from uh, the moment it starts to the moment it finishes. Uh, and he sits there with a tear in his eye, 96 years old, uh, and he remembers. For it's called Remembrance Day for a reason. You see those stunning pictures of the cenotaph, the quiet. The guns salute the last trumpet. And there's a kind of crazy moment as the queen has gone in and all the royals have followed her. And there's a crazy moment when uh, the camera pans to the current prime minister, Theresa May, and the leader of the opposition, Jeremy Corbyn. And they walk off together back into Whitehall, followed by David Cameron and Gordon Brown side by side, followed by John Major and Tony Blair side by side. And for a moment, it's a great and glorious moment and a wonderful picture of unity. Here we are as a country, we're united. And what are we united over? There's a reason, there's a purpose, because usually they go at it hammer and tongs against each other. Policy against policy. Slander against slander sometimes. Still do. Have done. Throughout the history of Parliament. And yet today, there's a difference. We're united as we commemorate those who have fallen. Those who have paid the great sacrifice so that you and I can sit here today free. See, today's passage is about unity on something. And there's a purpose for unity too. Let me cast your minds back and you're playing catch up. If uh, this is your first time in the last three weeks, we're in John 17, uh, a series of three. The first week we looked at verses 1 to 5 uh, and we looked at Jesus praying for himself. Jesus praying that the Father might glorify him. So that in turn, he may glorify the Father. Glorify, simply raise up to its rightful place. To make much of. Jesus prays, Father, make much of me. Raise me up to my rightful place. So that I may make much of you. So that other people would see you. And then verses 6 to 19. A huge chunk of this chapter. Jesus prays for his disciples. Jesus prays for the ones who in a few hours, will desert him. Every single one. For the context of John 17. The last prayer that Jesus prays in the upper room before he crosses the Kidron Valley over to the Garden of Gethsemane in chapter 18, verse 1. That's when his betrayer comes, leading an army to arrest him, trialed, and then sentenced to death. And Jesus prays, Remember last week for their position, their position made possible by the Father giving them, presenting them to the Lord Jesus and the Lord Jesus making it possible to bring them back to the Father and then their protection from the evil one. Remember that last week? Not protection from the things of the world, that he would pull us out of the world and we would be safe from physical harm. 
no, 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 uh, protection from the evil one, lest they be lost, lest they stop trusting, lest they fall into temptation of quitting, in trusting in Jesus. Jesus prays for himself, Jesus prays for his disciples, and then in verses 20 to 26, Jesus prays for you and me. We can look at three things as Jesus prays this prayer. The umbrella is the glory of God. God is so passionate about his glory. We'll see, hopefully, the final piece, the jigsaw, come into place this afternoon. And look how God is glorified. We'll look at how God is glorified through the unity amongst his people. As we're called to stand together. We'll look how God is glorified through the display of us as a church to the world. And then we'll look how he's glorified as he enables us to stand righteous before him. Today and forever. So let's go, verse 20 and 21. Here's our first point. Got to be glorified as we, the church, would stand together. Verse 20, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. The eve of his arrest and death, Jesus prays such a prayer. Moments later, he'll sweat drops of blood. The weight of the world on his shoulders. And he stops before he walks out of the door of the upper room, crosses the valley into the garden. He stops and he prays for those who will believe in me through the message of the disciples. You see, this afternoon, if ever you wanted to know what God thinks of you, here we see the beautiful picture. You are so precious to him. He prays for you. He prays for me. The hour before his trial. Let that sink in for a moment. For you. Busy you in Vista. prayed for you and he prayed for me how do I know this well look in verse 20 I believed in the disciples message what is the message of the disciples Uh, well Jesus commissions them in Matthew 28 go and make disciples of all nations Paul talks about preaching Christ crucified that's the message of Paul Peter, in 1 Peter, records this. Jesus has died for sins once and for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. I know that Jesus prayed for me because I believe in the disciples' message. Truth about the Lord Jesus. Can you remember when you first heard the message from the disciples? Can you remember who told you the message? From the disciples that has been relayed century to century, generation to generation, so that you may hear. So that you may not just hear, but John's passionate. We looked at this in chapter 20. Passionate so that you may 
understand, you may hear, you may understand, you may believe and then have life in his name. Can you remember who told you? I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. So as he prays for you and I, see what he prays? He prays for unity. The essence of the prayer is that we would be joined together. Remember there's that glorious moment when you're at a marriage ceremony? When the person conducting the marriage says something like this, those whom God hath joined together, let no man put asunder. Remember those fine words? And you think that's it. Kind of finality. Single lives together to become one. What good God has joined together, let no one separate. So similar what the Father, what the Lord Jesus is praying to the Father. All of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, that there would be a coming together. Believers who will believe in Jesus through the disciples' message. And you see his prayer for unity. The example that he gives is his relationship with the Father. This is the example that Jesus gives. So that they may be joined together like you and I. It's the example. It's the perfect example. And four times in his verses, unity is alluded to. Be one. Complete unity. One. John keeps going for it. So is Jesus' prayers for you and I. It's not random. It's not that Lanks and Bista would have a good day tomorrow, that it'd be happy, that all would go well at work. He prays that I would be united to others who trust in Jesus in Bista. See the end there? May they also be in us. Look at the connection. Now Jesus draws. That all believers, being united, would be in Jesus and in the Father. This is now my source of identification. This is who I am. I'm adopted sons and daughters. I've got siblings. I'm united in Christ. That we would stand together. Do you know what this challenge is? As I've been preparing this this week, it's challenged my view, my individualistic view of living out the Christian life. Even the view of me and my family together. You know the Bible when it alludes to family, way more often than not it talks about this family than my immediate family. This is the family that God is greatly concerned about. Challenges my view as I try and do Christian living on my own. Perhaps like Simon Garfunkel's great song, I Am a Rock. Hiding in my room, safe within my womb. I touch no one, no one touches me. I am a rock, I am an island. And a rock feels no pain, an island never cries. I wonder if that is something like you with the Christian life. No, no, it's just me. I'm all right, thanks. Don't even ask. 
a question of how I'm doing. Because I'm all right. It's just between me and Jesus. Do you know what John 17 says? No, no, no. It's really not between you and Jesus. He is the one who died for you, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God so that you may be united together as one. We're called to stand together, to support each other. Do you know what I've loved over the last 10 months of Town Church? Stories. Wonderful stories of babysitters who say, I'm going to babysit to enable weary parents to go out for a meal. Because it hasn't happened in over a year. I love stories of people standing in for others on rotors. might sound small, but it's not. Because if we didn't have a setup team today, we couldn't do it. If we didn't have a team that serves refreshments, and the amount of times that people go, oh, I can't do this, and someone jumps up and goes, yeah, I'll do it. I'm in there. I'm up. I'm standing next to you. I'm with you. Do I love stories of hearing people clubbing together to give gifts to people in the church? Just to bless them. Just to say, you're one of us. We're with you in this. I love stories of people going around to see John King. He's not here today. Going around to help him sort out his wardrobe. Try and get rid of his many Chelsea shirts that he's got. To say, John... I'll help you in this. I love looking back over the last 10 months, story after story of how we're standing together. Small examples, but a big deal because of what they show us united together. And this is what the Lord Jesus prayed for. Standing together. Look at the second one. Glory to God that God will be glorified as Jesus prays for town church. That we would also stand apart, stand together as one, but also stand apart. Look at verse 21. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. It's not just that we would be united together and support each other as good as that is. And that we pray that we do that more and more. Sacrificial living for the family. But look at the purpose of unity here. Jesus prays to the Father so that the world may believe that God sent Jesus. Uniting the people of town church together so that those not in town church may see the Lord Jesus. May see that the Father has sent the Lord Jesus for a reason. The purpose of praying for unity is so that the world may believe. And we live in a town that does not believe in Jesus. The world always in John is referred to those who do not believe. Oh, let's pick it up again, verse 22. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Look at this. 
I have given them the glory that you gave me. What is Jesus saying? Well, let's take that word glory. Whenever we see that uh, in the Bible, the word glory, infinite worth and eternal beauty of God, that's what the word glory is. Infinite worth and eternal beauty uh, of God. We had a little look in this in home group on Wednesday and someone asked, what does beauty mean? The infinite worth of God and his eternal beauty. I have many questions I struggle to answer. I, I, I kind of get a glimpse in the Bible. But not until heaven will we see the eternal beauty of the Father. But let's drive it even further in John 1.14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. So when we see Jesus and we understand glory, infinite worth and eternal beauty in the humanity of Jesus, we see full of grace and truth. That big word glory, infinite worth, eternal beauty, now narrowed down in the person of Jesus, full of grace and truth. And therefore Jesus has given us this glory. That he possesses uh, as a human, full of grace and truth. Grace and truth. That's what verse 22 means. I have given them grace and truth that you gave me. That you may be one as we are one. Can I ask, do people see the love of the Father in you? Do you think? In the way that you're united to others at town church? Does a lost world see something of the glory of God through Jesus, grace and truth in you as we're united together and display him? I was at an Chester Running Club Awards night last night. Needless to say, I didn't pick anything up. 70 in the room. Running club, sitting on a table of 10. Sign a leave next to Kerry and I. Finney and Liv, just over the table. Four, uh, sorry, two other couples, four other people. Do Alchester Running Club see the love of the Father through the way that the six of us, united together in Christ, interacted with each other? Went through my mind a few times. What's the purpose of unity? So the world may believe. John records Jesus praying. Christmas is coming up. Well, it's miles away. But we've got leaflets out. Not because we want to get you all ginned up for Christmas and say, oh, come on, let's follow the world world and all the advertising that it does. John Lewis and all the rest of it, all fabulous adverts that we can't wait to see, but we'd rather see the beginning of December than the beginning of November. It's not to get you all like that, but it is to say Christmas is coming up and here's a wonderful occasion. It is a wonderful time to bring friends under the sound of the gospel and to see the unity that shows them the love of the Father. So we've got packs of 10. 
And here's the Christmas challenge. We're going to give you all a pack of 10. Say, go, wherever you live. Flyer, 10 houses. And see what God may do as they come to family carols or carols at the rugby club or men's bowling and curry. Not really Christmassy, but hey-ho, just throw it in there. Girls' craft night. Let's see what God may do. What will stop you? Do you know Satan has two strategies? He's dying to distort the truth so that we're no longer based upon the message of the disciples. So that the message of the disciples is watered down to some degree. So that no longer we're built on Christ crucified. He's desperate to distort the truth. And he's desperate for the disunity of the church. Two things we see through the whole of history. Distort the truth and disunity of the church. That we become isolationists. So that we do the Christian life alone. This might be hard for some of you. Might be easier for others. All personality traits thrown in there. Do you know I'm, a, I'm an introvert? It's tough for me on a Sunday afternoon. I'm called to be united. I'm called to hang out with people. It's not really my cup of tea. But Jesus prays. And he says, I've given them the glory, grace and truth in you. To be united. So that others may believe. Can I challenge and encourage you? Introvert or extrovert. Unity in the church. Not just attendance on a Sunday. But doing some of those stories and many more things for each other. As we grow together. Can I encourage you? Continue. Not for you. And not actually for the person you're doing it for. Of course it is. But it's so that others may believe who do not know Jesus. That is the prayer of the Lord Jesus. Coming into Christmas, could we do that? Look at the third point that Jesus prays, that we would stand righteous in this life and the next. Verses 24 to 26. It's the memory verse. I'm not quite sure how these memory verses are working. We don't kind of drive the memory verse home. It's like a camp, isn't it, in the summer um, for little ones. Um, These cards are really good, aren't they? Thanks for the team. Uh, that deliver these, Rosie uh, and John King, who just think about the design and then get them done. It's really helpful. I I have about three or four. um, And I just kind of pop them around in different places. In my wallet, one. Uh, On the kitchen cupboard, two. Got one on the mirror, three. Don't often look in it. Maybe I should more. (laughs) That's the memory verse, verse 24. Father, I want those you've given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory. The glory you've given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Look at the request of Jesus. That those in whom the Father has provided as believers be with him in the place of glory. Do you know what God's most passionate about? Do you know what God is most passionate about? Is he most passionate about the salvation of sinners? You could say that's a good answer. Is he most passionate about the unity of the church? You would go, oh, from these verses, you'd be hard pushed to find another answer. Do you know what God is most passionate about? His glory. 
that's what God is most passionate about. Throughout the Bible, you see driving text towards God and his glory. Here's a God who saves a nation so that they may praise him, so that they may be his people, so that they would be a witness to the world, so that people would see, say, look at God. How glorious is he? God exists for his glory. And he says, praise me. I'll do all I have to do through Jesus so that you can be with me to see my glory forever and a day. Praise me and praise me and keep praising me. For I am worthy to be praised. You know, some of you might go, whoa, 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 whoa. It's a bit egocentric of God. To ask such a thing, that we would praise him. But we see here just a little glimpse of the glorious nature of God. Just something. See my glory, the glory you've given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Jesus saying, raise me up as we looked in verses 1 to 5. Where then they will see my glory. So he prays the ultimate prayer in verse 24. We pray this for ourselves, that he would pull us home, that he would take us home to be with him. And 25 and 26, they drive through how this is possible. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you. They know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them, that I myself may be in them. Righteous Father alludes to how this is all possible, that I can be brought back to him, to glorify him forever and a day. The righteous Father is now satisfied. He's now satisfied because we have been justified. Because his son, whom he dearly loved, Died on the cross, died in my place, so that when the Father calls me home, and he will one day, I'm able to enter into his heaven because of the Lord Jesus. As he looks on the Lord Jesus, the punishment that he paid, and he says, right with me now, Langs. Not because of any good deed that you've done. Not because of what you tried to do in this world, but because of what the Lord Jesus has done. And he stood in your place. Here's Jesus saying, righteous father. Why does he say righteous father? Because now I'm right before him. God does not change. The father does not change. He doesn't sweep my sin under the carpet and go, you're forgiven. Come in. Oh, don't worry about your sin. No, no, no. He says, you're forgiven and I've dealt with sin. Because the sin is now on the shoulders of my son. Look at the driving point of the love of the Father. See there, verse 26, believers know know what the truth is because Jesus has made the Father known to us. The promise is that Jesus will continue to do this so that the love of the Father may be in them and Christ himself may be in them too. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're an object of God's love. And you're being transformed to have love for others. 
And it's in love we come to the table. And we remember, fitting today, that we remember what the Lord Jesus has done. But before we remember, let's sing. As Chris comes up, I want to pray that these words would sink in deep.